Um, it's my privilege this morning to uh, introduce Joe Richter and uh, Scott Clifton from Farms uh, International Ministry. Uh, you've known about that. There's some of you who don't know who they are because you're, you're newer to the church, and that's fine. They have a, a newsletter, a couple of newsletters on the back table. Would encourage you if you're interested afterwards to pick it up and to understand uh, what's going on. Uh, you get on their mailing list; it'd be great. They also have a DVD to explain what's going on with some more pictures and things like that. And uh, the reason why they're here today is because they're transferring leadership from Joe's executive director. He's been there for a lot of years. And uh, transitioning to Scott, and you all know of Joe. He's been here, spoken on a number of occasions. I just wanted you to know Scott. And uh, also then I've asked them even just talk about that ministry, transition. So Joe's going to talk first for a bit, and then Scott's going to talk. I just wanted them to remind you again of what, what Farms is doing and uh, encourage us in that work that we might support them wholeheartedly as a church. So why don't you come, Joe, and then you can transition to Scott. Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be back here at Rock Valley and uh, visiting with folks. And and I didn't take part in the, what do they call that, the game where the kids shoot each other and terrorize each other. But Scott did, but he has some welts to prove it. <laughs> so, uh, but we had a good time last night getting to know people better. And... and uh, the Ministry of Farms International is all about the poor of God's kingdom, and uh, I had a long journey, I think, in my life to, to come to that, that place of my life where I began to see the poor as God saw them. And uh, I just want to read a couple scriptures first this morning, and it's from John chapter 12. It's... Uh, a story you're familiar with, but uh, usually when I was coming home on a furlough, I'll share a little bit about being a missionary uh, with farms, but coming home on a furlough, I would ask God, you know, do you have anything special that you want me to share with the churches? And and when I'm home, you know, I'll be speaking, is there any special message? And And he said, I want you to share about the poor. And I said, no, I don't want to. You might think that was sort of funny, but I had seen a lot, a lot of mission work around the world use the poor to raise money for their mission, and uh, some good works, some bad works, some, uh, you know, corrupt works, and I said, you know, I, I'll, I'll go home, I'll, I'll preach about anything, but I don't want to act like I'm using the poor to promote our ministry, even though it's about the poor. Uh, you know, we don't, in our newsletter, show pictures of kids in rags or people in destitution and people... Uh, I, I often think, you know, how, how would they like it if they came to... How would we like it if they came to our house and our wife was in her bathrobe and her hair all messed up in the morning and we snapped a whole bunch of pictures of her and put it in a newsletter? It says, this is the way they live here. You know, and, uh, and, and, but God said, no, I want you to study the poor because I want you to see the poor the way I see them. And I began to read God's word in a new way completely. 
And it was mind-boggling, the hundreds and hundreds of scriptures on the poor and how they related to God's heart and love for the poor. And this one story sort of illustrates it in, in one fashion. It's, uh, it's from uh, John, I guess, uh, chapter, let's see, I think that's it. i got to see if I'm in the right place here. On John chapter 12. It's funny, when I write notes sometimes, I put the wrong chapter in there. And, uh, but it's John chapter 12. I want to just start there uh, in, in, uh, in the beginning here in verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spiked nard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. If you just take those few verses and try to imagine being there, seeing that scene, it's mind-boggling. A woman touching a man's feet and anointing it and wiping it with her hair. And everyone was aghast, I'm sure, looking at Jesus. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? This was not proper. This was not normal. And this is what one of his disciples said in verse 4. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, he said, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Sounds very religious. And then he said, this he said, not that he cared, I mean, for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. It's very interesting. It was these verses that he cared not for the poor, but was a thief. He was using the poor as an excuse to enrich himself. He was the treasurer of the disciples, and he stole a lot of money, evidently, out of the bag, money that should have gone to the poor. And then Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying shall, uh, has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. And then in Mark 17, the author here adds a few more words beyond what was in John. And it says, whenever you will, you can do them good. And that's what Farms is all about. We're willing, you know, as an organization and many people like you supporting Farms, are willing to help the poor and uh, help them in a way that's meaningful. As a ministry, Farm started in 1961. A Baptist uh, Navy chaplain and pastor uh, felt the need as he traveled through Asia to help churches that looked like they were in poverty. And he said, a church in poverty is not a good witness that Jesus Christ supplies all our needs. And he said, here we live in a rich, abundant country, uh, full of resources and skills and ability. 
there's got to be a way we can help poor people, but he did not want to create a dependency by just giving to the poor. He wanted to create a path out of poverty, and he also wanted to create a way that they would learn to give back to God out of thankful hearts and give back to the church. And uh, he began Farms International a very interesting way. His dad was a cattle farmer in Virginia. His father had passed away, and he inherited part of the inheritance from the sale of the farm. And he took that money and started Farms International. He was a young man with a wife and one child. His wife was sort of terrified by him saying, you know, taking the whole inheritance when they were so poor and starting a ministry to help the poor. And, uh, but he did that. 1961, Gareth Miller began the Ministry of Farms. And we met him around 1980 personally, and in 19, I mean, in 1980 was we were introduced to farms. About 1983, he flew from New York City out to visit us in Minnesota, and wanted us uh, to represent farms wherever we went as missionaries. And and we agreed to do that. We were a little reluctant, not knowing a whole lot about farms, but. In 1984, we went to be missionaries in, in the Philippines and served there for eight years. And during the last uh, term we were in service in the Philippines, we got a telegram. Now, you kids don't know telegrams. Or, uh, there were no texts, there were no cell phones, there were no landlines, there was no uh, any way to communicate up in those mountains. But a man came and knocking at our door one day and had this little yellow sheet of paper folded up and he handed it to me and he said, I think this is for you. And we opened it up and read the words from his wife, Gareth Miller has passed away at the age of 61. And uh, she just wanted us to know that. And, and we were devastated. He was the founder and executive director of the mission and here we were, a young couple out in the Philippines, wondering, you know, we were representing farms and wondering what the future would bring. Uh, he had a heart for the poor, and he had a heart, too, also. They said, Gareth, at 61 years old, we can give you a heart transplant, and uh, you can live a long life yet. And Gareth, being the man he was, he said, there's got to be a younger man that needs that heart more than me. And his wife was sort of shocked that he did that, but uh, he died two months later because of no heart transplant. When you really have a heart for the poor, uh, it changes your whole whole life uh, as far as your perspective on on uh, on life. And in '91, we came home from the Philippines, and immediately the board asked us if I'd be the executive director, and I immediately said no. And uh, I, uh, but I said, I'll find you one. But after a year and a half of searching, I, I realized God was calling us into this ministry. And uh, so since uh, 93, it's 25 years ago, I've served as the executive director. And there's nothing I can imagine in my life that I would sooner have done. I was thinking this morning if someone said, uh, you know, how would you like to have a meeting with President Trump? 
Now, not, this is not political, but I was thinking, you know, it was more exciting for me to meet these men and women that live in these remote parts of the world that serve God amongst dangerous situations, willing to lay down their life for Jesus, than to meet the president. It's been a thrilling life to meet these heroes and missionary heroes around the world uh, that, that God has given me an opportunity to see and, and to be in countless villages, uh, seeing the joy of people that have come out of poverty and are serving the Lord and, and come out of darkness. They share, you know, we live the life of horror, of fear every day in our life until Jesus came into our life. And uh, so I would not choose a different life, and that life for my wife and I is not ending. We have some thoughts and plans in retirement to spend more time with the poor, to live overseas, probably some extended times, and work and train and teach people. And uh, we, we are retiring, but we're sort of retreading or whatever, too, <laughs> so we're going to do some new things. I think that we haven't been able to. We've been in a transition with uh, Scott. I've known Scott for about 10 years and his family and uh, knew him and his wife before they were married. They surprisingly invited this old man to their wedding. And then we were dancing with them and uh, around them and they said, you gotta teach us the polka. Uh, we haven't quite got to that point yet in our relationship. <laughs> we, uh, we uh, always have enjoyed their family and, and our time together with Bible studies and fellowship and, and sharing meals together and traveling. And we even went on vacation together, if you can believe that. You know, you have a millennial and a, I don't know what they call us. Uh, anyway, I was always excited when my wife, you know, uh, said, I said, yeah, I'm getting all this gray hair. I used to have brown hair. And she said, well, I thought she was saying you look very distinguished, but later I found out she said you look very extinguished. <laughs> and uh, anyway, but uh, Scott and I this spring got to travel to Asia together, and we had a tremendous time, uh, 23 days, uh, 19 flights, lots of immigration, <laughs> lots of interrogation, and but a thrilling time to go to uh, India and also Bangladesh and Thailand and visit the villages and a lot of the programs and some new places also. And uh, I was wondering, this is Scott's first time to Asia, wondering how's he gonna do? And uh, I kept hinting to him about different things, especially when we're eating things. I says, you know, the food is really good, but you don't have to grab the first thing out of the pot Watch these guys, you know, when they go to the pot, they stir it around and look for a better piece of meat or something. I said, I've pulled out some pretty strange things when I pull out the first thing. And Scott digs in there and pulls out the whole chicken head and everything in the pot of, of, of chicken stew or whatever we're having. And Scott said, Joe, I see what you mean. So he started stirring the pot a little more when he went to get it. But he loved the food, loved the people. They loved him. He related well in villages and, and remote places, places that were dirty, places that were quaint, you know, and places that were uh, rough. And uh, we, had a, we had a tremendous time together in, in traveling and, and uh, saw many, many things. 
on that trip. So he got to see many of our programs in that short time and, and, and got to meet a lot of people that he, he's formed friendships with. This church in particular has been a big help to farms. Some of you know that, some of you don't. I know Gary Weeby, who's the president of our board of farms, has shared here, but I think originally this church gave 10000 towards a new program in Laos, uh, right next to Thailand, where we had another program. And that program has flourished and is going so well, they want to start a second uh, program in northern Laos. And uh, also the program you've been supporting in Thailand is reaching out into Cambodia now. And hopefully farms will be able to start a program there. And they're already talking ahead, looking to Burma. It's interesting when the poor are helped, they begin to see people around their lives that are poorer than them. And I, I just, I'll tell you one Funny story that happened to me one time. I was driving across the country to speak somewhere in the church and turned on the radio to stay awake, and it was a country western uh, 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 music on there. And I don't normally listen to country. I'm like, Gary likes southern gospel, and we went to one of those concerts. And uh, but I I was listening to this, and I it sounded sort of funny, but the guy was singing. And he said, when you're really down and low and think there's no further place to go, look down, there'll be someone looking up. And I started to laugh. I said, that's just what farms does. When people think they're really in poverty, they start looking around and they start seeing people worse off. And that's what God does in their lives. And that's why they're reaching out into Cambodia. They said, Man, we thought our tribal people were poor until we went to Cambodia. Farms has to start helping in Cambodia. And uh, I, you know, could share many, many stories this morning, but I want to give Scott the time to, to share about farms and his vision. Uh, we're excited about the transition. Of course, I'll, I'll miss being the executive director, but... Uh, we're looking forward to our life, my wife and I, and the things that God has before us. Uh, we're not slowing down too much, I don't think. And, uh, and so, uh, God bless you, and thank you so much for standing behind our ministry and with farms and, and for all the things uh, that you do through this church. I, I'm always happy to be here and, and to meet you people again. God bless. Thank you. Hello. Good morning. Well, it's been nice to get to know you over this weekend. Uh, when Pastor found out I had a couple kids, he said, you better come to that Art of Parenting seminar. And so I did, and I benefited from it, and I got to meet some of you there. And I, I got shot at as well, and that was fun and, and everything at the, the airsoft thing last night. So... It's been great. It's been really encouraging, too, to see a church with mature believers. And we were talking a little bit, Pastor and I, about my story. And I grew up in a church that was a lot of really nice people. But I, don't, I, wasn't, I didn't see faith lived out in their daily lives. You know? And when I went home, it wasn't something we talked about at home and everything. So to have that where it's 
you know, you get this weekly refreshment, that's really great. And I've been encouraged just in all my conversations to, to hear with the depth of what you speak, and, and it's, it's all really encouraging. So just wanted to share that, but um, thought I'd let you know a little bit about myself just so you have some context or, for who I am and, and everything. Uh, I am married uh, for about six years. We have two kids. Uh, Cedar is our oldest daughter. She's about three and a half. And Treg, he's our youngest, and he's about a year and a half. So um, it keeps things interesting around the house, lots of energy. Um, but then, you know, at the Art of Parenting, I met Bill, and he said they have 10 kids. So I guess I got some, some ways to go here. But so, um, before farms, I, I've been an engineer at an aircraft company in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and it's called Cirrus Aircraft, and I was a design engineer working on small four or five seater airplanes, and then we certified a, a personal jet recently, and that's been um, my path up till now, but I never felt like, uh, I never really felt like I was thriving or alive in that role. Um, not that I wasn't equipped to be able to perform the duties, but when God puts something on your heart and he's calling you to something, then that weighs on you. Um, but God used that, that period, that season of time to, to teach me and train me in, in many different ways, in some subtle ways. And, uh, and in the meantime, I had a relationship with the Richters. Uh, we went to the same church and got to know each other there in Duluth, Minnesota. And, and uh, you know, they've been real uh, mentors to our family, and and to uh, be able to have that relationship where you can go over and share a meal and and learn so much from from people who have uh, been through the trials and and lived and come through the other side and be able to pass instruction on has has really been a benefit to us. Uh, but inevitably, they introduced us to farms and these these principles of farms and. I'm kind of the person who mulls over something for a while before I'm, you know, full in and, and that type of thing. And so they would talk to us about their experience as missionaries and about how farms operates. And we would roll over these concepts. And I said, well, I, I got to learn more about farms. And so I went on a trip with uh, Joe and his wife to Ecuador. We we're looking at a potential farms location. And so I got some firsthand experience, and I said, I, I like what I see. I, I like um, these principles. I need to get more involved. And so I was asked about the board, and I joined the board a number of years ago, maybe about three years ago now. And, um, and then this opportunity to come on staff came up, and felt uh, my wife and I both felt like, it was the right step that we had peace that God was leading us in that direction. And so that's kind of been the process in a, in a nutshell. But I'd like to talk some about, uh, about those principles that convinced me that farms was worth uh, investing my own personal uh, time and finances in. So we have a saying with farms that doing good that is good. And what does that mean exactly? 
Um, so I want to give you a counterexample. There's this documentary that was created called Poverty Inc. and they have this example in there and I think it just so clearly illustrates um, sometimes the problem of giving. And there's, there's this group of people, really well-intentioned, they saw a need, they saw people in destitution, they wanted to help, and they said, how can we help? Well, one of the ways that they helped is they, they gathered together a bunch of eggs, and they sent over a shipment of these eggs so people would have food and nourishment, and it sounds really good. It's a genuine heart, they're, they're giving generously, um, but then when you look at what happened, they, they gave these eggs. Uh, there's a person in this town where they, they gave the eggs to who had just recently you know, got himself set up to sell eggs. Well, these eggs were given free, so he couldn't compete with free, so he just invested this money into this business that there's no market for because it was free. Well, then time passed and they said, this, this isn't a thing that we want to pursue, so they stopped giving eggs. But by that time, he had sold off all of the equipment and everything that he had bought to invest in that business. And so then there's no one producing these eggs and they had to go and import them at a higher price. So it's just an example of how when we consider the final outcome of, of giving, you know, how is it really affecting those that we desire to help? And farms is this solution that's constructed in, in a way, and we have the history since 1961 to be able to look back and see, have we seen helping that has resulted in improved lives? Have we seen people empowered? And, and we have. We have story after story of this. Um, one example... Uh, and then I'll talk some about the details of how farms operates. But uh, when we were able to travel this May, we went to a remote village in India called New Baizampui. And uh, we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to go. But, uh, but the rains held off long enough, so they said, I don't think we'll get stuck. But if we do, you just get out and you push the vehicle, and I think we'll be okay. So that was comforting, but... Uh, so we, we made it without getting stuck, and, and we made it to this very remote village. Um, people were shocked to see a white person, for sure. Uh, there's an old guy who, who came up to us and said that, uh, you know, the last time that he saw a white person was in wartime days. And that was in, my best guess would be the 1940s. You know, the, the British were... Um, you know, trying to get him to carry their stuff, uh, be a porter and that kind of thing. So that many decades since this, this elder in this community had seen a white person, and so very remote and, and uh, not a place, a uh, foreign destination. Um, anyway, there's uh, a couple individuals with the church there that had received a loan from farms to buy a rice mill. And before this time, before they had the rice mill, they were doing it all by hand. Very time-intensive labor process. And, and so there's a great need in the community to have this type of technology. And so they bought a, a rice mill, and the pastor was talking. He said they get very little from the church each month. 
and and uh, they weren't able to keep up with finances. You know, desiring to educate their kids in a way that set them up for the future and those types of things, and and their debt was increasing, but they were able to get this loan for this grain mill. Uh, if people were too poor to pay to have the rice mill, they'd give a portion of their rice, so it was available to everybody. And then they were able to make money that supported not only themselves, their family, and brought them out of debt, but is also something where they increase their personal giving to the church. And so you look at that, and it's hard to say that that, that wasn't good in the ultimate sense. And we see examples of this all over the countries that we work. But as, as far as, um, as how farms operates, um, it might typically look like this. Okay? There might be a missionary in the field who has heard about farms who says, you know, that would be a great fit for the people that I'm working with. That would really empower the church there. And they would contact us, and then we would talk about it. Uh, the next step would be they would gather together a volunteer committee that would oversee the loan program. So we're not administering personal loans to everyone in all these places. There's volunteer committees of local people who know the culture, they know their area, and they're administering the loans. Uh, we would travel to train that committee they would construct their own policy, and, and we would talk through points as needed with that. And once that committee's in place, then farms, so people donate to farms, churches donate to farms, and then we would fund a program when it's ready, and they distribute that, and we start out small and then increase. You know, like the parable of the talents, you know, you have been faithful with a little, you receive more. That philosophy is something that we employ in our programs. So, uh, so we would start with enough to fund maybe five to ten families. And then they would distribute those loans, and then we'd get a report back on, on how they're doing and repayment and that type of thing. And then we'd increase that as people have, been, have shown to have been faithful. And so um, as people take out loans... They, they're not loans for, like, uh, fixing a leaky roof or a flat tire, so to speak, you know. Um, they're loans that are meant for income generation. So that means that when they invest that money, on the other side of it, they'll be making more than before that money. And so what this allows is, one, they pay back that loan. I forgot to mention, the loan is interest-free. So it's, it's something where we're not burdening them with an additional interest, and it's also something where their only other option would be maybe a loan shark or just 30 to 100-plus percent interest rate, and that keeps them in poverty. So they're looking for that opportunity that allows them uh, you know, to get out of their impoverished situation. And so... Um, anyway, as people make more money, then they're able to give generously back to the church. And that's something that they agree to do as part of taking a loan. And what we see is churches that are empowered to carry out the will of God that they want to pursue. So what's this look like? Uh, we have an example in Bangladesh um, where there's loans for these rickshaws. They're pedal bikes, 
with trailers that are heaping full. Uh, if you've ever seen pictures like that where people, it looks like there should be no way to get that bike to move, but they do. That's the, the rickshaw. And um, there's these projects that started when the church was a couple thousand believers. And because people uh, made, you know, were able to improve their situation so much and give back so generously, they, they decided that the churches didn't need any more money. They're doing okay. So they gave it back to the program and it expanded even more rapidly. And it was part of this people movement uh, of, that's grown to the hundreds of thousands of believers coming out of a Muslim background in Bangladesh. You know, and you you look at what tool could we have, you know, that reaches that many people. It's hard to think of something that would really support that type of expansion. So it's it's a really exciting philosophy, and we've seen really really cool things happen. And uh, um, anyway, I I have some some big footsteps uh, to, to follow in with, with Joe. He's led quite a legacy, and, and hearing stories like this, he's full of them. They've really inspired me to, to pursue God with everything that I have and to go even where it's dangerous and, and that type of thing. And so, in short, my plan... Uh, for farms as we carry into the future, my focus would be to continue, grow, and connect. And uh, what I mean by continue is everything that I just said, that's something we identify with, we want to continue in. You know, I uh, am so, uh, what did you say? I should have mentioned to, to Pastor that this is my first time speaking like this in front of a whole big church. I didn't make that clear. I thought he might not let me. So, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I identify strongly with the philosophy. I look at the Bible. It, it lines up with everything that I read. And so it's something that I want to carry on and invest in further. So that's, that's that continuing on. Growing, now there's a number of opportunities that Joe mentioned. Uh, Laos and Cambodia and Burma, and that's to name a few. There, there's many more um, opportunities. And so it kind of struck me when I was there traveling, every village is looking to the next village and looking to the next village, and they say, well, this is great, you know, and, and when we're ready, there's that next village that we can go into. And so there's no shortage uh, of opportunities that are available to us. And as far as Connect, um, well, Joe hasn't been uh, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, those kind of things, too much. And, and, uh, and so we're looking just to use the tools that are available for younger generations and to carry farms into the, into the future. And so uh, if you look up Farms International on, on Facebook or on Instagram, we have a presence there, or we have uh, uh, information on our website and newsletters in the back. So there's plenty of ways to, to see stories of farms and that kind of thing. Um, with, with all that being said, there's uh, a passage that I'd, I'd like us uh, 
to read, turn to Galatians um, 6, chapter 6, uh, 7 to 10. So that verse 10 is something that we reference a lot with farms. It talks about doing good to everyone, but especially those of the household of faith. And so we work among uh, believers. The loans go out to Christians. Um, and uh, the reason for that is there are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our, our family in this impoverished situation. And uh, why would we circumvent our family to help those? Uh, it's also good to help those outside of the family. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that. But when there's such a great need in our family, we want to do what we can to, to fill that need. But if I start reading Galatians 7 to 10 here, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's so much packed into these few verses here. Um, And if we walk through it a little bit, you know, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. There's some real good personal application in this, you know. When it's saying that God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. I think it's getting at this idea that sometimes we have it in our minds that sin is actually good on some level. Or there's something good that's being withheld from us, you know. And maybe if we invest in that a little bit, we'll experience some of the good that God has been withholding from us. And isn't this just like... uh, you know, in the Garden of Eden, and there's this good fruit, and why is God withholding it from you, this, this temptation? But it's saying, you're not going to fool God. The only person you're fooling in that is yourself. And it says, for he who sows of his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Well, what does it mean by the flesh? If you go back to chapter 5, it explains it pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. It's not hard to determine what it's talking about. It's the things that cause destruction in our lives when they're come to their fullition, right? And uh, you know if you're in that place. And, and my, uh, my word to those who might be in that place is that, you know, start sowing into the Spirit. You know, God is gracious. He forgives us. If we repent from, from our ways, then He wants to lead us to life. And He wants us to have abundant life. You know, but it takes time. There's this idea here that you sow 
and then there's a time that lapses, and then you reap the, the fruit. And so uh, it takes time when we're experiencing destruction to sow the good things of the Spirit into our life and to see the fruit. But also there might be those of us who think that we're okay because we're not actively experiencing destruction, and I think we need to be cautious um, that we're not just in that time that's lapsing between what we've sown and what we will reap when the fruit matures, right? However, I have to say, from all my conversations and talking with you all, it might be easy to, to try really hard to see the things in ourselves that are, are, we're sowing that are sowing into the flesh. And it's good for that self-examination. But also, I think this is a very encouraging passage for those who are sowing into the Spirit. Right? Uh, sometimes we might feel like, well, what's happening on the other end? And the parenting seminar is this great example of what better example than raising kids to sow and have a time that lapses, and then you see the fruit of sowing good things. You know, um, It talks about sowing to the Spirit also in, in chapter 5. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I don't think that when we hear that list, there's any one of us who says, I don't want to experience those things in my life. Who doesn't want peace and joy? You know, and patience, perseverance. Uh, the, the exhortation is to not grow weary in doing good for in due time. You know, and... Uh, if there's any encouragement that I could give to you, especially in our partnership, you know, the way that you guys have given to farms is we, we want to share with you the stories that it's, it's effective. Because of your giving, there's people whose lives have improved in a way that also improves their communities. It also improves their churches. It, it allows the gospel of Christ to spread. Uh, in fact, the, the program, uh, uh, I didn't experience this firsthand, I, so I'm telling Joe's story, I guess, or him, but uh, there's a missionary who is a contact for us in that the northern Thailand program that also reached into Laos. And they were working along a 30-mile stretch of that strategic border you know, they said, we want to plant churches here so that we may have influence into Laos. If you don't know, Laos is a very closed country. It's, it's communist. So it would be very difficult for us to, to go there. And so people often have to come across the border from Laos to receive training and then go back into Laos. And so they had a heart for, for uh, spreading the gospel and for helping their brothers and sisters in this land and everything. But once they started partnering with farms, 
that 30-mile stretch grew to 300 miles. You know, many churches were able to be planted because of that empowerment of the church. And so, you know, if there's any encouragement, know that there's, there's results and know that um, as we have this, it says, as we have opportunity. We have such an opportunity in, in this country. We have such an opportunity um, to, to, I mean, to make money, to make opportunities for ourselves, you know. My wife and I, I didn't mention this, we own a business. Uh, it just started this last year. It's a retail business, and we sell locally made goods by artisans in the, the North Shore area along Lake Superior. And, and it is difficult for us, you know, to start out in such a venture, but there's so many opportunities available for us. There's so much literature, there's so much training, there's this loan and that loan and, you know, reasonable interest rates and all of this. And I think, what would you do in a country where you don't have access to this training, you don't have access to this information, your loan is 30 or more percent, and it could be this very almost enslaving feeling, you know. How do I get out of this? People praying, how do I get out of this? God, make a way, God, make a way, God, make a way. And through farms, he's made a way. And it's been a way that uh, has freed the shackles, so to speak, and it's allowed them to, to, to flourish in, in really inspiring ways. So let us also... Uh, carry that generosity and let us be encouraged that the church is active and at work and the, the gospel is spreading through believers who desire nothing more than to share Christ with their brothers and sisters around them. And so thank you. Thank you for, the, for joining with us and, and meeting these needs. And I um, appreciate the time to be able to, to share, and, and I look forward to meeting more of you and, and continuing this relationship to come. So, thank you. Farms Ministry, and then we'll dismiss you all. There's small groups at the Brown House tonight and none at our house, and so let's pray. Father, would pray in your grace. You would be, be gracious to farms and just help, uh, help the transition, uh, God, and Help us to know how we can come alongside them and help them. Uh, Lord, I just know of all the different parameters and how difficult it is to deal with uh, poor and impoverished people who, who are looking for money and looking for a, a handout. Just thank you for the methodology that they have um, come to. God, with a local committee responsible for a, a sum of money that they can loan out, they can get back, and as it gets back and repaid, they can loan it out to others. God, to see the, the church flourish. And so, Lord, we pray that you, in, in ways far beyond known to us, that you would bless those efforts, especially those in Laos, as we've invested there before in the past. Uh, just would pray you'd lead us to think about investing toward this other uh, opportunity. We want to start a, another uh, program, a microloan program, just to help other Christians to flourish. God, thank you just for the, the ways in which, even in Laos, it's dangerous. I was talking to Scott and Joe, Lord, of how, how dangerous it is. God, if they knew that money was coming from America, um, God, how things would be shut down and how incognito they need to be as we seek to 
help, help these people in, in great distress. God, so give us wisdom, give us grace. God, help, help Joe and Scott in their ministry, uh, laboring for you and for the glory of Christ and his kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.